0: Welcome to A Dictionary of Finance and our special legal jargon episode. In fact, it's an entirely more competitive situation than usual on A Dictionary of Finance today. This is Snooze You Lose, the legal jargon game
1: show, in which lawyers pit their wits against each other, and we decide which of them we would pick to represent us.
0: We should also decide which crime we would possibly commit. That could influence your choice of lawyer too. But anyhow, today on Snooze You Lose, the contestants are Kinga Scholtes. Kinga is a counsel in the European Investment Bank's Czech Republic,
1: Slovakia, and Eastern Neighbors Division. She loves road trips. Her personal record
0: is 10 countries in a single week. Or as she says, hashtag only in Europe. Facing off against Kinga is Tom Gwyn. Tom is a counsel in the UK
1: and Ireland unit of the European Investment Bank's legal directorate. He got his first George Formby cassette at school from Ed Balls, who was later a British government minister.
0: Like George Formby, whose name will mean nothing to you unless you're British and over a certain age. Let's admit it, Tom, right? Tom plays the ukulele. Maria Serrato is a senior counsel for the IB's Spain and Portugal legal division. She's an
1: identical twin. And when she's at, a, she's at home in Madrid, she's often mistaken for her sister.
0: Who is also a lawyer. Matthias Brzezinski is in the Austria and Germany legal unit of the EIB. Matthias is a surfer who once rode the dangerous waves of Chargau, a Philippine island surrounded by razor-sharp reefs. Which shows that Matthias has nerves of steel. But can he handle the pressure today, Alar, on a dictionary of finance's legal game show, Snooze You Lose? So let's go to the first round. And Kinga, what is
1: Snooze You Lose?
2: Well, this is exactly what uh, it says. Uh, if the bank snoozes, it will lose the right to vote uh, about a request uh, from the borrower. So this is a borrower-friendly clause in financial agreements, and uh, it provides the protection. What I'm sure never happens in EIB, uh, but eventually, if maybe another bank uh, takes uh, too long time to respond uh, to the request of the borrower, uh, then uh, the borrower, uh, then the bank um, loses its right uh, to uh, vote uh, so this on this like, request.
1: So this is a clause that typically the, the borrower wants to, to have included in in
0: all of our contracts. Right?
1: Indeed.
2: So that's why it's very, very, very rarely included in AIB contracts.
0: So it would be something that would be in a contract, but it wouldn't be like if I'm a judge. Let's say, actually, I am a judge today. So let's say I'm a judge. I wouldn't say I, see you I like find you. I do. Yes. I'm not wearing the little wig today. Yes, um, but so if, you, if you're if you sitting there and you were a judge, you would say, you know, I find the plaintiff uh, guilty of you snooze, you lose. It's not that kind. It's not a verdict, but it's What would you call that actually in in legal terms?
2: Well, guilty comes uh, into play in criminal law. Uh, Normally, uh, banking lawyers
3: uh, are not the players on this field. Uh, It's uh, more. uh, It's not a crime or a a breach, as it were, Judge, but in reality, it's 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 more of an omission. You know, an omission, a failure to respond within a certain time, it's failure to act within a ah, reasonable period of but time. But a
0: breach, that's the word that I was looking for there. Because, you know, we think of things, uh, when we think of legal things, we think of crime. Yep. But a breach is something that you might deal with more as, as lawyers. Yeah, it's in. everyday
3: commercial context, right? So a breach is when you don't honour or do what you're supposed to do and the other side has a legal course of action against you. I, I think it's not as serious as a crime, but from a contractual, day-to-day, civil, commercial basis, it's quite important because in real important, significant matters, issues, if the bank doesn't respond either because we don't know about it or we don't have the resource to get back in time, we could be put at a massive disadvantage. Um, Is that right? In
2: fact, this clause is uh, used in uh, syndicated uh, facility agreements where you have a high number of uh, parties, yes. Yes. So uh, basically everybody has a portion of vote uh, in accordance uh, with the exposure uh, in the lending. So uh, at the end of the given uh, period, they calculate these votes together uh, so, uh, therefore, uh, the uh, vote uh, of the lender who failed to respond in time will not be calculated. Yeah. So, in fact, it's not a crime, it's not a breach, it's an option uh, for the lender to uh-huh. express a view. And, and if it's not done in a certain amount of time, uh, then, then we'll tough lose luck. I mean,
3: yeah. yeah. can I just, uh, without meaning, sorry, it's the George Formby impersonator again, mm-hmm. uh, can I try and put it on a more basic level, which is you know you're hosting a lovely party summer party and inviting you know it involves a lot of preparation a lot of serious you know uh, work to make this party a, a big event and then you send out your invites out and typically you specify an RSVP you know that they should respond and confirm their attendance at the party mm. within a certain period otherwise if you don't hear back you assume they're not coming
4: so there, will, there yeah. won't be drinks and food
3: for you? Basically. No, no mm-hmm. you just won't be at the table. I think at mm-hmm. a basic level, conceptually, it's a bit like that. Gotcha. You know, you're given a certain period, right?
0: So let's move on to the next, the next question, the next puzzler. Maria, reservation of rights.
4: Well, I think the best way to put this through is with an example. Let's say I'm going to lend you, Matthew, 100 euros, and you have to pay me that money back in one year. So let's imagine the time comes and after one year, you do not repay my, the, the 100 years back to me. You default in your obligation. At that point in time, I can do two things. I could say, you're in default, you didn't pay me back, and I'm going to take proceedings against you.
5: I'm going proceedings?
4: To proceedings, I'm going to go to court, I'm going to say you didn't pay me back, I'm going to force security if I had anything, I'm going to do all the things I can do to get my money back or because let's say you are my friend and I wanna take a soft approach to you as my borrower, and I know you're gonna get some extra money in a couple of weeks, I'm gonna say, well, I'm gonna give him a little bit more time. Let's let's don't do drama out of this. Let's Let's give him a little bit more time. If I do that, it is highly recommended for me as a lender that I send you what we call in legal terms, a reservation of rights letter. In this letter, I'm telling you, Matthew, you are in default you haven't paid me. I'm not taking action right now against you, but I reserve my right to do so at any point in time. And why is this important? Because if I don't do that and I don't send you this letter, in certain jurisdictions, it could be interpreted that I'm waiving my right to be repaid. You're snoozing and, that's,
0: you're snoozing and losing.
4: Somehow I'm snoozing and I lose. And oh. I, that's something I don't want to do as a lender. I want so my money back. reservation
0: of rights is a scary thing
4: it 's a way to protect yourself when you take a self approach with, with your borrower all
0: right well let
1: let's keep on going, uh, Tom, uh, surprisingly, acting reasonably
0: is a legal term is that right it 's not what we usually associate with lawyers, of course, is it? but there we go. this is what we 're going to find out right now
3: you find uh, no fair point, chaps, but uh, you find you think so wouldn't you that lawyers uh, would insist on every party involved in a matter or transaction or case to act reasonably because not just the law requires it. And common, you know, the UK system is a common law system where it based a lot of previous precedents where people are required to behave reasonably in a certain conduct or matter or context. Except, of course, when the lawyers submit their bills, (laughs) they may not be so acting reasonably. But anyhow... Acting reasonably is a very complicated, despite the two simple words, it's a very complex history and application. So culturally, you know, one part of the country, part of of Europe, acting reasonably, unfortunately, means different things to different people, different standards. But in law, for example, typically when we have clients who are required to do certain things they think well it's going to be really difficult and not practical so they will try and soften that you know re- that, that, that covenant or requirement by insisting on having the words acting reasonably you know in the circumstance because if it's not reasonable for them to provide us with a certain piece of paper or meet a certain deadline then you know it's only right they shouldn't be forced to do it and then Accidentally cause a breach.
1: So acting reasonably, in the end, will be uh, decided uh, by a judge, what, what yeah. is and what is not. The judge,
3: reasonable. in most cases, will look back to a lot of cases in the history of acting reasonably and find, well, his question would typically be, you know, what would a reasonable man or a reasonable bank or a reasonable party, borrower, do in that situation?
1: So it really goes back to you know, what is a tradition? What is a traditional way of acting in a certain situation? Yeah, but it's much
3: more uh, stringent and full of clear guidelines, much more clear guidelines than we think.
1: Clear guidelines it's based, not, based, uh, on based on precedence, pretty Absolutely, and based on,
3: on the law. circumstance, yeah. Whether it's in a bank or in a shop or in a railway station, people are expected to behave reasonably within a certain situation. Mm-hmm. So, it's not just I know it when I see it. No, uh-huh. it's not just a fluffy concept, you know. Mm-hmm. But maybe my colleagues at the table will share what they mean or understand to mean acting reasonably in their work and their jurisdiction. But in the English law system, it essentially means a reasonable bystander watching something. What would they do in that situation? Well, we are a reasonable people, aren't we? That's true. Yeah.
1: But on, yes. on the, but on the but, continent, so, so people would rather try to avoid that kind of wording? That they'd like to kind of specify what acting reasonably would mean in a, any situation?
4: Well, I think in continental, European continental law, acting reasonably is something that is already embedded in the, in the legal system. Nevertheless, we have a lot of clients that ask us to include the acting reasonably wording in certain undertakings, because it just gives them more comfort. It just gives them the, 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 the comfort that we are not going to ask something that is outrageous, that it's impossible to get. So many times we find ourselves adding acting reasonably in many of the clauses we include in the loan agreements. So that's, that gives them some sort of comfort indeed.
0: It would not be a legal jargon episode if we didn't go to the Latin.
5: Okay, so, Matthias, pari passu. Well, pari passu, indeed, is a Latin word. It means um, equal or um, on equal terms. Um, in finance, we use it, um, let's take a loan agreement as example. example. Um, if a lender wants to be pari passu, it means that um, this lender wants to be on equal terms, at least on equal terms with other lenders. With other lenders, um, more specifically, in a situation where a loan is not secured, Um so it, it only applies in unsecured um, situation. Um, typically, there are two ways to include this concept in um, finance contracts. You can either include it as a um, as a representation, which is is a statement of fact um, at the time when you enter the contract, or it can be also a covenant, which is something which points um, to the future. So the lender wants to make sure that this um, that this status also um, will be preserved in the future.
0: Ah, oh, so there's covenant and representation. Two more terms. He gets bonus points for that, <laughs> bonus points for that. Okay, let's stick with the Latin, Tom. In Britain, I gather there's a lot of Latin in in the law, right? It's not just in general. So let's try uh, ipso locator.
3: If I remember, I the last time I used Latin, this phrase actually means the in literal terms the matter speaks for itself yeah
0: so is that connected to acting reasonably
3: yeah I mean the matter speaks for itself and it follows that you know in, in a sense I mean as a Latin scholar I should really know uh, what it literally means but mm-hmm. from memory I, in a legal context I think it follows that so it follows from the action of a certain thing so therefore um uh, you know, if a party or a man or a woman in a certain arrangement does something, it follows on that the consequence of the breach, as it were. So why um, wouldn't you just say, therefore,
1: or thereby?
3: Well, in defense of Latin phrases in legal uh, profession, you know, there was a time when uh, a combination, I guess, of snobbery and trying to judges very cleverly and intellectually f- summarized succinctly, you know, briefly, a long tedious case in a few phrases. And sometimes the beauty of Latin is it sums up uh, these situations neatly in just a few words. That's uh, not to forget that the origins of the UK and a lot of legal system derive from Roman law. Indeed, and therefore, and
4: in university we yeah. study Roman law when we study law. At least two years, yeah. in my case. So that was plenty
3: of sure. Latin expressions so we had to memorize. So there you are, it's a hangover with. from the Roman law days, and also the need to summarize Latin's uh, complicated situations neatly, conceptually, using just a few very elegant Latin words. Obviously, it's 2017, and if a judge or a lawyer starts using Latin again, A, people switch off, and B, somehow it's seen as very snobbish, you know, intellectual highbrow sort of talk. So I think in, Latin I
2: mean. has its place and time uh, because these are good definitions, and uh, law contains a lot of definitions which mm. make different sense uh, in legal terms than in everyday uh, terms. So acting reasonably, the Roman law equivalent would be, um, basically it's a standard of duty of care. In Roman law, it was acting as a bonus at diligent pater familias. It means wow. that the the you had to measure any action against the action of a good um, and, uh, like, like morally good, uh, and uh, prudent, uh, man who cares for an entire family and household so mm. not some crazy single guy running around and uh, like acting like casanova or not uh, like uh, somebody who is trying to uh, get extreme amount of financial gain in a in a short term but somebody who builds uh, a future and takes care of people that, who that are around that would be
1: them. that would be great if we had just this model person who you know to whom we give this title that you're you're this model person against all you know against whom all the contracts are are judged by and uh, and then this title is passed on to the next you know this. Perfect I, I think we have
0: four of them right here. We, we do, we, right. and,
1: and I also you know I also think that you know perhaps you know after Brexit and if we have to stop using you know British common law, we could go you know we could you know Roman law. Go straight sounds back like to the Roman. Th- that sounds. Sounds perfect.
0: King, yeah. as seeing as you spoke up for Latin, you get a chance for a Latin bonus point mutatis mutandis.
2: I actually love this expression because it. Um very briefly expresses so many things so instead of drafting two three pages um, I can just add a sentence uh, the changes apply mutatis mutandis uh, in this contract so it means new alteration uh, or changing whatever is required to be changed so for instance if in the original contract uh, you had one single borrower and uh, your uh, amendment agreement introduces a new borrower so now you have two borrowers rulers To be very prudent, uh, you would need to um, basically rewrite the contract uh, everywhere where it was singular. You would need to use plural, uh, and it's enough to say that uh, changes apply mutatis mutandis. So,
1: so if you if you would be working at a law firm where you're charged by the hour versus the IB, you wouldn't use that because you would actually want to rewrite the whole thing, right, to rack up the
2: hours. No, of course, course. I would act reasonably, and uh, I would uh, take into account. The interest of my clients, so I would just add mutatis ah, mutandis. Nice.
0: Maria, we can't let you get away with no Latin because you're the only person around the table who's from a Latin country, so, and you've done those two years of Roman law, so I think this is Latin, right? In rem security?
4: Indeed. I, I think the best way to explain this is if we go back to the previous example where I was lending you 100 euros, I may think, well, you're not strong enough to repay me that amount, so I'm going to ask you for some sort of credit protection. Um, For credit protection, uh, there's plenty of things I could ask you. I could ask you for what we call personal guarantee. Let's say, for instance, Tom or Kinga deciding to become your guarantor and paying paying back your loan in case you do default. Or I could ask for something else, what we call in-rem security. In-rem means against the thing. Actually, my protection lies in the value of a thing. So, uh, this could ter- normally take the, place, the form of a pledge or a mortgage over an asset or a credit right. So, for instance, if I think you're not strong enough to repay me that long, I may say, you have to give me a pledge over your beautiful watch. So, if you don't pay me back, I will take your watch and I'll sell it. And with that proceeds, hopefully enough, I will be able to get my 100 euros back. So, that will be, I will be taking an rem security over your watch, a security for the payment obligation that you owe me.
0: Well, I'm looking at my watch now, and we've come to the end of this podcast episode. You'll be able to tune in, of course, to another episode of the Legal Jargon uh, podcast, Snooze You Lose, uh, in a couple of weeks. But right now, we should say thank you to everyone around the table for joining us. And we should decide on the winner. Actually, it's a game show. I think, actually, we have a tie between Kinga and Maria because the Latin was so good. The Latin was so good. I think that really, that really won it. You're the judge, Matt. I am. That's right. But you you are the jury. You yeah. have to decide. I, I concur. I just, passed the, <laughs> I just passed the sentence. Although I think we've decided we're not doing that kind of law today, aren't we? Because it gets too ugly. So um, this is the end of this episode of uh, A Dictionary of Finance. Uh, join us on Twitter. I'm at EIB Matt, M-A-T-T. Mm-hmm. To let us know what else you'd like to hear about on this podcast and let us know what you think of it. And you can also be in touch with Alar. I'm at Alar Tankler
1: at A-L-L-A-R-T-A-N-K-L-E-R.
0: It's very unfortunate. We make you spell your name every week on this. I'm getting better at it. Yeah, (laughs) It's, it's really sticking, isn't it? So we'll see you again soon on A Dictionary of Finance.